Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency, I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. Amidst the volumes of research I did to create Ethical Change Agency and exploring the guests that I knew would have a great alignment with the ethical evolution, I came across a remarkable woman who I believe needs a hell of a lot more recognition than she gets. To put it simply, she's a woman who makes things happen and she knew from a young age that she wanted to make a difference in this world when she understood that a long human life is only about 650,000 hours and she wanted to make the most of every one of them. Nikki Mee is the founder and managing director of the child protection organisation Free to Shine and has led a team of professionals including social workers, psychologists and education officers to secure the safety of girls across rural Cambodia. Nikki and her team have worked with police, community leaders and schools to prevent girls being trafficked into commercial sex industry and help them achieve their rights to access education, safe drinking water, enough food and adequate shelter. Leading a child protection organisation has taught Nikki Me lessons in ethical and effective leadership, while the girls and their families have taught Nikki perspective, strength, community and even joy. I was really moved by what Nikki does and what she faces and the lives she changes. So grab your tissues and settle in with this remarkable woman. Welcome, Nikki, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Now, can you tell us about your background and who Nikki Me is? <laughs> I can tell you about my background. I don't know if I can tell you who I am. But, um, <laughs> oh, my background, um, I was born in England under the grey gray skies of England. Mm-hmm. I decided at 13 that I wanted to come and live in Australia where the sky always seemed to be blue and that made a lot <laughs> more sense to me. Um, I decided a lot of things actually as a kid. Like when I was eight, I made the decision that I'd go to this thing called a university. I'd never been to one. I didn't really know anyone who'd been to one. Um, I knew my teachers had been, I knew my doctor had been, so I figured that if I went to that thing that's probably just like a school, um, I'd have more choices. So I made I made like 
I had a lot of like, when I reflect back, a lot of realizations as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember one time when I was about, maybe about nine or 10, and I was sitting, I was allowed to sit, I was the eldest of four kids. And so I was allowed to sit at a table with the adults while the other kids were off playing somewhere, providing I didn't speak and interrupt. Um, I was able to like just be there and listen. And I remember one conversation where all these, (laughs) remember I was like nine or 10. So in my nine or 10 year old mind, they were all old people. (laughs) And so I decided that all these old people were 40, which actually when I look back now, I'm pretty sure they were probably about 30. (laughs) But anyway, all these like old 40 year olds were um, talking about things that they regretted. And one of the things I noticed in that conversation was that they were all discussing that the thing they regretted was something that they hadn't done. And nobody mm. was actually talking about anything that they regretted that they had done. So I thought that was really interesting. And I made a promise to myself at that age that if there was something I wanted to do, I'd do it because I didn't want to get to 40 and regret having not done something. So there's some of the things that I guess have led me to make some of the decisions that I make, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I was interested, I did a school project when I was 15 on child abuse. Right. And I learned about um, child sexual abuse. And I decided then that I wanted to do something to help abused kids. I didn't really know what that was going to be. I thought it would be psychology of some description yeah so that's what that's basically my background I went into I did a psychology degree mm-hmm. learned that after having a, a bachelor in psychology you're not a psychologist you've got to go on to many yeah. many more years study you've got these different avenues to take so I decided that I would I would begin with educational psychology and to to do ed psych you first had to teach because you needed to know so-called normal kids before you could work with so-called damaged kids so I began teaching and then I, I when I was doing psychology, I, it, for me, it raised more questions than it provided answers. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up doing life coaching and one thing and another, all these different books that I was reading at the time, I was reading um, books about the plights of different women and girls around the world. And that's when I began to think, wow, there's enough teachers here teaching kids. There's enough psychologists here working with kids that need it here who's doing the stuff in these other countries where you Mm. you can't take off to these other countries you know you've got families you can't take off I thought there's kids there's kids outside of this country that actually need me and so that's why I guess part of part of the reason why I've ended up doing what I do now so um wow you started out with that mission so young yeah quite young (laughs) Most kids that age wouldn't even fathom that kind of stuff was going on in the world. Yeah, well, I didn't know about sex trafficking at that time, yeah. <laughs> for sure. That was something I learned about um, in my early 20s. So I'd read books about honour killings and I read a book about, um, about a, a young woman called Mukhtar in Pakistan who was sentenced to a public gang rape as punishment for a crime that her brother allegedly committed and I read another book by a 10 year old Nujud in Yemen who walked into a courtroom and requested that they help her get divorced Mm -hmm. and reading all these like 
it was always women and girls. It didn't matter what the country was. The country was varied. The issues were varied, but it was the exploitation mm. of women and girls. And I thought that's what I want to do. I didn't know what issue I would do, and I didn't know what <clears throat> what country I would choose. Um, I I always had thoughts that I would actually go somewhere else. I hadn't really, once I hadn't heard of Cambodia, but I didn't know anything about Cambodia. But what happened for me was. I one day walked past my bookcase and saw this growing row of books and I just stopped dead in my tracks. And I thought, I keep reading these books, wanting to do something, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to help. So placing it nicely back on my bookcase, keeping mm. it tidy and off I go and live my life for six months. And then I pick up another book and I read this and I, I care and I'm upset and I want to help and I don't know what to do. So put it nice and neatly back on my bookcase and off I go again. Um, I, it just, I just stopped dead in my tracks and I looked at them and I thought, wow, I've wanted to do something to help kids since I was like 15. And yeah. I, I don't know, by then I was mid to late 20s. And I thought, at what point does reading these books and learning about this stuff become voyeuristic if you're not actually going to do something? Absolutely. So I either stop reading them <laughs> or I do something. And I couldn't stop reading them. I thought... It would be hard enough to go through the things they've gone through, mm. let alone relive it to actually write about it. Yeah. Why are they writing it? They must think there's something that you and I could do. Mm. So I have to do it. So I made a promise that the next book I read, no matter what the issue or what the country, I would do something about it. Yeah. And that next book was Sex Trafficking and it was in Cambodia. And that's basically how I ended up doing this. Wow. So uh, for those who don't know, you're, you're the founder of Free to Shine, can you um, tell us what that is and uh, how that came about? Well, obviously, we know how it came about now, yeah. but, like, what, what does Free to Shine do? That's a good place to start, isn't it? I forgot <laughs> that people wouldn't know, you know that you, bit. You, you know. Um, <laughs> Free to Shine is a child protection organisation that prevents children being trafficked into the commercial sex industry mm. currently in Cambodia. And so we, I lead a team of 20, 20 staff that includes education officers and social workers. And we, we've enrolled just over 750 girls across 59 different rural villages. Wow. And we help them be free from slavery, access education, and safe drinking water, enough food and adequate shelter. And so... When I read this book, I decided that I would go to Cambodia and I would find out what I could do to help. Like, yeah. From reading the book, I still didn't actually know what to do. I just felt like, okay, I need to go and learn. So I took four weeks off work. Yeah. What I had learned in that book was things like there are four point, currently 4.8 million um enforced sexual exploitation my god the on average yeah on average they're held for 23.1 months before either being freed or managing to escape that 99.4 percent are women and girls and that 21.3 percent are children um i learn about cena for example who was 13 when she was trafficked Mm -hmm. and she was kept in a large cupboard in a nice hotel brought out where men paid to have sex with her. Yeah. And 
one day a man complained that she didn't smile enough so it didn't make him feel like she was happy so as punishment and to teach her to smile she was stripped naked and locked in a coffin for two days oh. and Cena says yeah Cena says the only thing that stopped the ants from crawling into her eyes were her tears oh my god when she was let out from then on, she smiled every time the customer raped her. And it was 10 years, almost 10 years ago now that I actually went and spent a month with Sina and other survivors of trafficking yeah. um, to see what I could do to help. And at the end of my month with them, I asked them, what do you want and what do you need? If I come back to Australia and I get a group of people to help me, um, we haven't lived your life. We don't know mm. what you want and need. And I guess I thought that they would say something quite quite easy, really, that yeah. would maybe take me an hour or a day. That was my little box in my head that I was going to do. And it's interesting, isn't it, what you don't know until mm. you know it. But today, I wonder how I never knew this, but 10 years ago, I didn't know this. Yeah. And they said to me, Nikki... The day we get rescued, the traffickers don't go without a girl. They just go out into a rural village and they take a new young girl to replace us. So go out into the rural villages, find the girls who aren't in school and get them into school because if they're in school, they would be safe. Yeah. And I looked around the room and they were all shaking their heads that not one of them had been in school when they were trafficked. And with a background in teaching, yeah. I thought, well, of course, because before I taught geography, science, maths, English... I made sure the kids were safe. Yeah. I'm, I looked for the, the child protection signs of who they were going home with and how, how they were doing and stuff. So before you educate, you ensure safety. So it made sense that if they were in school, they were under the watchful eye of a, of a professional yeah. who could report them if they went missing. It also meant that they weren't at home where men coming through the village could exploit them, for example. Um, and the international research backs that up. You know, for example, the United Nations International Labour Organization, they say a very similar thing, that getting children into school mm. is a vital step to keeping them safe from being trafficked. So that's really why why I do it the way that we do it. Yeah. So we, in terms of the how, um, we basically identify which villagers a trafficker would be most likely to target. Mm -hmm. So which villagers are rural enough that they don't have visible support from international organizations, people who'd be like a, a watchful eye, child protection profession and child protection professionals, etc. Um, and then we work out once they've identified that village, how would they identify which families and which children to target? And we do that through working with the schools, through working with village and commune leaders, yeah. um, commune councils of women and children, etc. And there's a whole heap of different risk factors and different criteria that make them most vulnerable um, and most at risk. And so we then work with them on getting them safely into school so that they're physically safe throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and that's the simple stuff, like the physical resources, the, the books, the pens, the bicycle, the uniforms, all of that kind of stuff, the extra classes that they need. Yep. Um, but the biggest part of what we do is the family work to keep mm. them safe. So we're addressing all those factors that are all interlinked, the, the poverty, the 
um, microfinance loans, violence in the family, all like so many different factors that interplay. And we work with the child, with her siblings, with her parents, or, or if she's living with grandparents or aunts and uncles, um, on addressing those things so that she's got a safe, stable family life and helping yeah. them. We don't solve problems for the families, but we help them work out how do I solve this problem? Because sometimes the problems they've got, like we wouldn't know how to solve them either. If we lived in a, yeah. in a country with a lack of resources in situations, we'd be just as stumped as they are. So we don't solve the problem for them, but we work with them on, okay, while you're figuring out different options, which option will also keep your children safe and in school? Yeah. So that we get them to keep that in the foremost of their minds. Wow. So, I mean, just from what you said there, I mean, you must have seen some incredible uh, stories of, of, you know, kids that have been affected. Um, and, and that surely has got to take its toll on you as well um, in, in what you do. Yeah, I think it probably does. I've been doing it 10 years now and certainly, um, yeah, it does. It builds up and you get tired. Um but also, I guess, I guess you get energised and driven forward from from the good the good stories. But um, yeah, certainly there have been some confronting times mm. from learning about the things that have happened to girls who are trafficked, yeah. and to, and talking with them and being with them. Um, there's a lot of traumatic things there. The families we work with are like we're preventing it happening to them in the first place. So I'm not. I'm not any longer confronted with that on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. But even then what we see is confronting because mm. it just doesn't make sense that when we have comparatively so much that some people could have so little. Yeah. So one family, the first day we met them, mum was boiling an egg for lunch. And so we asked her, what was she making? We thought she was making something with several ingredients, an egg being a, an ingredient. And she was making an egg, one egg. And there was her and three children. And she had to decide whether she would split that egg equally four ways oh, and, wow. and share it, or whether she would give it to the weakest child to try and build their strength up, yeah. or whether she would take it to try to get her strength so she could go and do a day's construction work tomorrow and therefore maybe earn a day's salary and maybe she could feed all of the children tomorrow. And I think nobody should have to make that decision. No. That's, That's not incredible. a decision anyone should have to make. Yeah. Wow. So really um, that whole holistic approach that you're taking, like the, the impacts you must be making are, are huge. Um, can you tell us like what kind of impact Free to Shine is, is making, particularly in Cambodia? Sure. So um, do you want numbers or stories? <laughs> oh, look, either. Um, it, you know, it'd be... All right. So... Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of both. I'll start with <laughs> some stories. Um, so take Kin, for example, who was eight when we met her. Mm -hmm. And her and grandma didn't have a house. They lived outside in an area that flooded regularly. And they were on a wooden bed. If you imagine a wooden bed that we would have, and yeah. you just imagine that without the mattress on top. Yeah. So they had a wooden bed. And they'd wrapped a big sheet of plastic around it. 
and the plastic was hung through the tree. So it was a sort of roof and wall, you might say. Yeah. So they lived on a on a on a wooden bed wrapped in plastic, basically. Got where every time that it rained, um, she was wearing one long t-shirt that looked like a dress on her, ripped, dirty, and she didn't know where mum was. Um, her grandma, that was her daughter. They hadn't seen her since since Kin was little. Yeah. She had gone over to Thailand because the daily wage in Thailand is about three times higher than the daily daily wage in Cambodia. So if you're struggling to support your family in Cambodia, a good option for a lot of people is to go to Thailand. Yeah. But to get your visa and passport's quite expensive, so a lot migrate illegally. Mm. And so the first time that we met them, Grandma said, I don't know what's happened to my daughter. I don't know whether she went illegally over the border and got shot at or whether she made it safely over there and met a new man and had some new children, got a new family and forgot about her old one. I don't know where my daughter is. Wow. I thought, like, imagine having to live not knowing what's happened to your child. Yeah. So Kin, at eight, said to us in that that first conversation, she said, I sometimes, she she was eight and she hadn't been in school, and she said, I sometimes borrow a neighbour's bike and I cycle to the school and I just stand at the school gate and I look in at the children learning in the classroom and I hope that one day maybe I too can sit inside the classroom. So obviously we got her enrolled. They were very high risk. We got her enrolled, got her all the, you know, the standard material things that she would require to go to school. Mm-hmm. We also built her and grandma a little house, just something ever so small and basic, but it had a concrete floor, woven palm leaves, tin tin roof, and it, it's adequate shelter. It's kept them safe and dry. They've got a door that they can close. And she went to school and she just began thriving. Yeah. She's doing so well. We also learned that she had a 10-year-old sister who had already, she'd also never, ever been to school, but she'd already gone to Thailand to work at 10 years old. Wow. And so we hoped that we'd be able to get her back and into school as well so that we knew she'd be safe because we did not know what, what what she was doing in Thailand and what risks and whether she was okay or not. So it, after a year, she was back in Cambodia and we enrolled her in school too. And her younger sister, who'd done one year of school, actually taught her the basics so that she could go in and they've gone through school together. Oh. And that was six years ago. And both of them are still now in school. So she's 14 and her sister's 16. And they're in school. They're thriving. They've stayed safe the whole time. Grandma's doing well. That's... That's incredible. Yeah, that's what we do and sort of how it works. Yeah. So that that has got to be such a, a good feeling for you. Yeah, so good. Yeah. 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 To see them grow and up then, and to be in that situation, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I guess what really makes me feel good as well and what gives me hope when you asked about challenges earlier, when we're confronted with challenge after challenge after challenge, I suppose the things that really give us hope and drive us forward are the examples of children who at a very young age Mm. are not only seizing the opportunities that we give to them but they're leveraging those opportunities to serve other people yeah and they're doing that 
with a lot less than we have yeah. and they're doing more for others than we even know is possible yeah. and their kids that's the stuff that drives me on like for example net who was 13 yeah um, been on our program for only six months um her mum was seven months pregnant um and she already had four younger siblings and dad died in a really bad road accident and so they lost they lost dad and for for her mum lost husband yeah um not only did they lose the person they loved, they also lost at that point in time the only income that entire family had to live mm. on. So that obviously placed Net at a lot of a lot of risk of leaving school to support her family, even though she's just thirteen. Yeah. Um, we put in a little bit of extra support for during that crisis to try and to support her to be able to stay in school. Yeah. Not only did she stay in school, which I really think is a miracle in itself, she asked us, we didn't discuss these things, we didn't offer them at that time, she was one of the first ones that that, that have got us to actually have those conversations, but just out of the blue, she asked us, could I have a whiteboard and pens? (laughs) What, What do you want a whiteboard and pens for? And she said, well, I'm a grade six, so I know things. And children, when they fail their exams, have to drop out of school. And I don't want children to drop out of school. I'm grade six. I know things. I can teach the grade threes and fours and make sure they don't fail and drop out of school. Wow. And she began, amidst her own grief, she yeah. began teaching Khmer literacy and basic maths to her neighbours. Incredible. Kids are right. amazing, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, Jeez. they really are. And, you know, it, in, in those developing countries like that, um, what I'm hearing a lot um, from, from my guests is that um, particularly, um, you know, charities like Buy One, Give One um, and, and yourself, um, when we're helping particularly kids and, and women, um, they tend to pay it forward. So, yeah. you know, you're not only helping yeah. them, you're helping that whole community, you're helping the economy and, and it spreads. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just that one person you're helping. Yeah, it's such a good investment. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. kick ass, don't they? It's unbelievable. Yeah. So what, what are the future goals with um, Free to Shine? Where, where do you want to see it get to? Um, I want to secure the whole of the Siem Reap province from traffickers. So we currently work in about a 45-kilometre radius from the city. Yep. So we go out in pairs on little motorbikes and takes about we go out about 90 minutes, about a 90-minute radius. Mm-hmm. And so we've secured a lot of children in that area. So we've enrolled 753 girls. Uh, assessments to date indicate that there would be about 12 to 1,300 children so I want to secure all of their safety and that way sex traffickers wouldn't be able to take a vulnerable child from the Siem province. That would be the first goal. Second goal from that, once that's done, is to replicate that in the other provinces. Wow. Yes, we're behind you 100% on that. That's, that's, a, that's a huge, huge job. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, the awareness of sex trafficking and human trafficking here in Australia, there's not that many people who completely understand how, how bad it is, and it does happen here in Australia as well. Um, how can we raise the visibility on this issue? And I, I know there's a, a bunch of initiatives that Frida Shine's running here in Australia or supporting. Can you tell us about those and, and what we can do to help raise that visibility? 
Yeah, cool. Good question. So I think you probably hit on step one when you said that we're not particularly aware of it. So I think mm. the first thing is to become aware of it, to get educated about it. Um, it's it's difficult having conversations about something and raising awareness in other people if you don't feel confident yeah. in talking about it yourself. So I think the first thing to do is to get educated about it. So there are a good place if, if people are particularly interested in learning about trafficking is to go to the tip report. So that's the trafficking in persons report, mm -hmm. which looks at trafficking across all different countries. So they'd be able to see um, which countries are a source country, transit country, destination mm. country, and what what tier they've been ranked. So you're you're correct that it does happen in Australia, and Australia is ranked a tier one country, mm -hmm. which means that um, Australia is responding to it in in a way that's appropriate. They're doing everything that they're deemed legally ought to be doing, mm -hmm. and then each country is ranked tier one, tier two, tier two, watch list, tier three. Um, so that's a really good and interesting report for people to start with to understand a bit more about trafficking in different countries, how it happens in different countries, because it happens differently in different yeah. places. It happens to different extents and for different reasons. So that's a good place to start. And then beyond that, getting resources from websites and things. So to learn more about what we do, for example, we publish quarterly impact reports, which are usually like three to five pages long, every quarter to see what, what is the impact. Um, we, you can look at how different small businesses can support organisations like this and be achieving and addressing the sustainable development goals while they're doing that and being able to show their, their team and engage their team around it and showing their clients how they're doing that, that kind of thing. Um, there's annual reports, there's videos on the website. There's a lot of ways that people can, first of all, learn mm -hmm. um, Things, you know, like like this, this conversation, listening yeah. to a podcast about it, that kind of stuff, sharing that. Um, beyond that, they can go to, like, Facebook and and be sharing posts so that they're having, like, subtle conversations yeah. with friends and family and just subtly putting it into people's awareness. And then you're quite right. We do um, a couple of initiatives in Australia to raise awareness. We have a campaign called Shine and Dine where 40 cafes across Melbourne and the Mornington Peninsula took part in, in raising awareness of, of trafficking. And so for one month, they, they actually um, support us through one dish, but they put little cards on their table. So yeah. every customer coming in for a month learns that trafficking happens and not they don't learn a lot about it, just in, enough to place it in their awareness yeah. and to actually be supporting $5 from, from that dish supports us but also it gives them where to go next to learn more you know yeah. so there are lots of ways that businesses and and people can get involved in in learning and in supporting yeah and um i think i saw also you you there's a, an event that's yoga you can do yoga um yeah <laughs> yeah we were doing um be free yoga where yoga teachers um hold what they call a practice for freedom yeah. um yoga session so um, yeah, you can incorporate it into your general work life and yeah. just do something, Use like leveraging your skills, you know, your skills and talents and leveraging that as a way of, of earning a, an income that can be um, passed on to the organisation to actually support children. So speak, yeah. speaking of support, um, do you get um, any other like government support um, in, in what you do? 
You know, our support comes, 30% of our support comes from individuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of those individuals sponsor a girl. Yep. Um, but actually 54% of our income comes from small business. Wow. Who, yeah, it will, I think businesses are getting really switched on at yeah. the moment about... Yeah. Um, we're not going to create the world we want to live in, leaving it up to governments. I no. think people have realised that, right? So it's like, okay, I can leave it up to somebody else. Or actually, if I'm running a business, how can I leverage this business to actually achieve and create the world we want to live in? So I think small businesses um, especially are really getting switched on with that. And so we do something where businesses can partner with us we have yep. three different partnerships so um one of the partnerships is uh 350 a week but certainly um businesses can enter at 20 dollars a week you know yep. and in return for that they get this a toolkit of resources and they get ongoing quarterly support from us about how to engage their team around a cause and how to build their business through client engagement of showing them what their business is doing to achieve the SDGs. So oh that's God, been I'd really great that. for small business. Yeah, so cool. I love it. And it's uh, like yeah. I look at, you know, what I'm doing um, with the Ethical Change Agency and it's just so aligned, you know, like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, if you, if you do have people listening who mm. are interested in checking that out, then they can go to freedashine.org forward slash business. Simple as that. And they'll be able to see see what they can do and, and how they can just like leverage what they know and leverage the resources that they have. And Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, that's what this whole podcast is about is that there is this evolution happening is that we're becoming there more is. conscious and we need to do business yeah. for good. We can't just do it for ourselves anymore because we yeah. need that collective change to get anywhere. Yeah, and I'm finding that quite exciting. That yeah. gives me hope because the, the the businesses that I'm meeting with, or I, sh I should say the business leaders to begin with and, and their teams later, they're, they're not in it just to look good. Yeah. They actually really care. Yeah. And that gives me so much hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm much more mindful of my consumerism now that I, that I do this um, and I actually think about yeah. my ethical choices. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I think I'd want my money going to a business with heart before exactly. you know, one that's just all about sales, you know. Well, there's a, there's a study done annually, isn't there, um, Edelman Brand Report, that's found that in 2017, 51% of consumers um, would boycott a business mm. or choose a business mm. based on what it supported. And 12 months later, that had risen to 64%. So consumers are voting with their dollars. Yeah, and it doesn't take yeah. much nowadays. All it takes is, you know, uh, you know, a media faux pas for a big organisation or their CEO and, you know, it just wipes the balance sheet, really. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about your time in Cambodia and um, yeah. what during your time on the ground, what has been your yeah. biggest challenge in the work that you do and how did you overcome it? Oh, <laughs> that'd be heaps, right? Oh, so many challenges. Um, 
Oh, which challenge would you like to hear of? So <laughs> one, <laughs> one challenge, but it was not the biggest challenge, but one challenge, for example, just to put it into context was we found a bomb outside our office. Jeez. And yeah, so there's so much unexploded ordnance from, yeah. from the war era. And in the rainy season, because the road is not sealed and our, our our office is about three kilometers out of the city center. So it's still city. It's not rural. Mm. Um, the road is not sealed. The rains come, massive puddles, and then trucks come and throw new pebbles, rocks, and soil and land, landfill. Yeah. And one day, um, a driver nearby found, he said, this is a bomb. And he opened it and he showed us the inside. And then he threw it into the bushes. And so, yeah, we had to get bomb disposal to come out. And it was a live bomb. It was unexploded ordnance. Oh, my God. So, and that's not the biggest challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where to go with this question. The biggest, the biggest challenge, not that I have enough time to go into it, but I have written a book. And if people want to know yeah. more about it, I do explain it in more detail in the book. But the biggest challenge was the day that I had to fire 15 staff. Wow. It was massive. Um, and then from there, we had to rebuild the whole program. So that wow. was my absolute biggest challenge ever. Yeah. yeah. So so what's your book, Nikki? It's called Do What Matters. So it's a call to action to people to do what matters most to them. So mm. this is what matters most to me, but work out what matters most to you. Do what matters most um, in your business, do what matters most with your family, do what matters most in your life and do what matters most to you in the world. Mm. So uh, it's actually with the editor right now. So it's on um, pre, pre-order, pre but it's actually going to be launched on 24th of January. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. That sounds amazing. Yeah. You have to let me know <laughs> when it comes epic. out. Yeah. I will. It's been epic writing that in amongst doing all of this. Oh, God, you know, just in all that spare time you have. <laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> wow. And and really, yeah. you know, doing what matters. I mean, I think a lot of us get stuck in this grind from day to day and we're, we're always about what other people want. And, yeah. you know, it's not a, and it's yeah. not until you reach a critical point that you go, well, what about me? What about my yeah. family? What about the world, yeah. you know? And the reason I wanted to write the book is because it seems like, it can seem at first glance like what we are is about us over here that Mm. have been born into a life of relative privilege with resources. It's about us over here giving money so that them over there can get an education. And it is about that, but it's not just about that. So if we think it's about that, we're kind of missing half the story. So what I actually found once I began doing this work, very quickly I discovered this, was there's a massive amount that they have got right. There's a massive amount about the way they look at things and the way they respond to things Mm. that we can learn from. Absolutely. So the book is a series of lessons that I've learned through my decade of doing this that I share with other people so that you get their wisdom and their gold, you know, the things that they've taught me. That's incredible. I cannot wait to read that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Sounds awesome. So, um... I'm going to ask you um, what um, if you can define what being um, effective and ethical leadership means to you. Oh. 
Because I, I know you've got a bit of a background that. there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do not profess to be an expert in this, but I guess for me, effective means doing what works and ethical means doing what is right. Mm-hmm. So I think effective and ethical leadership is about getting the right people and leading them in doing the right things for the right reasons. Mm. Oh, you made that sound so simple. (laughs) (laughs) I think life is a lot more simple than we think. I think we have Mm. a tendency to really overcomplicate things. Yeah. And that's where we then get tied down in all the details of things. I think things are a lot more simple than we think. Yeah. And, you know, um, I've been asking every guest, you know, what um, being ethical means to them. And the answers I get are so varied and so different with every guest. And it's just so interesting to see, you know, everyone's perspective on that, I think. Um, Not that any of it's wrong or right. It's just so good to get that perspective. Um, So what um, what are your future plans um, in paying it forward and expanding your mission. Are you going to go beyond Cambodia? Go to um, other countries? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just made that decision right now. <laughs> um, yeah, look, that was our plan and raising the funds to do so has proven to be so much more challenging than I thought. Like we would be doing so much more if we had the funding to do it. Yeah. So, it, that really it that really does slow us down. Um, so as I said, our first goal is to secure the entire Siem Reap province, which means enrolling a few hundred more girls. Yep. Then we'll replicate across Cambodia, and then sure, we plan to to move into some neighbouring countries where trafficking is also um, really high. Yeah. Um, so um, how can um, people get involved with Free to Shine and and support you so you can raise those funds? Um, a variety of ways. So I guess um, individuals particularly often like to sponsor a child until she reaches grade 12. Mm-hmm. Businesses is the one that I'm really, really interested in at the moment because of how keen they are to get on board and really leverage their skills and the resources they have. So for businesses, they can pop over to freedashine.org forward slash business and take a look at the different partnerships and the tools and resources that we've created for them if they do that. Um, When the book is out on the 24th of January, my hope is that starting a conversation about trafficking is not very easy for people to do. So the book is a tool that they can, if they like the book and they find it interesting and the lessons in it from from the girls and families, etc., inspire them, they might have somebody in mind that they think would also like the book. So my hope is that people will buy multiple copies of the book and gift them to other people. Mm, So especially if if you know a business leader who you think would be interested in us if they knew about us, but they don't because we're tiny, we don't do marketing, then a really easy, great way to introduce them is to get them a copy of the book, send it to them and see see for themselves if they're interested. Yeah. that's some, yeah. yeah, that's going to be a, a great leverage for you, I think, getting that book out there. God, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm going to buy a heap of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, it's funny you should um, mention that because I was um, chatting to um, 
the founder of Freedom Hub. I'm not sure if she's familiar with Freedom Hub. Okay, Freedom yeah, Hub, yeah. she's also um, one of our guests on the podcast, and um, so nice. she does a lot of work around um, the modern slavery here in Australia, and actually looking at those supply chains and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, is that all a part of of your um, ethics in how you run Free to Shine as well? So the decision making processes and things like that. Yeah, that stuff came up really early. So we, in terms of the supply chain, yes, like we don't work in that area, yeah. but we ensure we don't add to those problems. So I remember when people in the very early days were looking at selling fundraising chocolates, for example, mm. you have to make sure that the chocolate you sell has not been made by a child elsewhere, yeah. you know? So um, we, as well as the yoga that you mentioned, we also have people who participate in fun runs like 10 kilometer runs across Australia and sometimes in Siem Reap. Um, and so we needed running singlets yep. designed for them. So we obviously made sure we used a really, mm. um, a, a company that, so it gets the A star, A plus star rating Etico. It's a brilliant company. Yeah. Um, so we do, we make sure we use ethical companies ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, what, um, and I ask every guest this, What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, I want to see lots of changes, please. <laughs> um, obviously, I want to see um, I want to see an end to sex trafficking. Mm. Um, I want to live in a world where young girls are not raped and tortured. Mm. Um but I want to live in a world where lots of things don't happen. And I think that there are something like 7 billion people. Like, imagine if they all stepped up and did whatever it was that mattered most to them. Mm. I'm, I, f- I feel <laughs> idealistically confident that yeah. we could live in a world without these problems because we have the intelligence to fix them, mm. to solve them. We Like, if you think about businesses, for example, business leaders that what is their job ultimately is to solve problems for their clients. Mm. So we're problem solvers. We're just not applying our ability to solve problems to the biggest problems in the world. Yeah. So I suppose how do we achieve that, in my opinion, would be to shift from apathy to action. Mm. Oh, that's gold. That's absolute gold. Oh. You know, and this is this is what it comes back to is this collective change. Like, we know what to do. Let's just do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's as simple as that. Let's yeah. just start. Mm. Yeah. Nikki, yeah. you are an amazing woman. I think you should be, like, Australian of the Year. Um, <laughs> like, the impact <laughs> you are making is absolutely incredible. And um, I just want to thank you so much for joining me and the work that you do. Thank you. And I want to thank you for having me here and giving me the opportunity to reach the people that listen to your podcast. It's a really wonderful opportunity. And thank you for like for you and your listeners for having the courage to hear about and learn about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're behind you 100%. So you let thank me know you. if there's anything you need, we're right there for you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, 
visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. DC, I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.